Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Goslin Martin Associates. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management professional, and it's sponsored by the Career Hub. The Career Hub is powered by Goslin Martin Associates. We rolled the site out in June, so if you haven't checked it out yet, please do so. You can link to it off of our main website at goslin-associates.com, or you can link to it directly at careers goslin-associates.com. Today, I am joined by Christine Perry, Vice President, Non-Clinical Operations, and Vice President, Human Resources at Cobleskill Regional Hospital in Cobleskill, New York. Cobleskill Regional Hospital is a member of the Bassett Healthcare Network, a five-hospital system located in Cooperstown, New York. Cobleskill itself is located in beautiful rolling country, about 50 miles west of Albany, so it's a Fantastic country location. It's beautiful, actually. Prior to joining Cobleskill, Christine worked in various human resources roles, including human resources administrator for the State University of New York Research Foundation and as human resources manager at Haney's, the Healthcare Association of New York State. Christine has her bachelor's in business administration and she has a master's in international business. She's senior certified by the Society for Human Resources Management, and she's also certified as a senior professional in human resources. Christine is also the first human resources professional that we've had on the High Reliability Podcast, which I'm excited about. So, Christine, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Excellent. I was, um, we were talking, Christine and I were talking before I started to record, and we were talking about HR and the function. And I said, for you know, many folks that we deal with on the candidate side relative to f- facilities management, some folks view HR as kind of like the wizard in the Wizard of Oz. And so Christine's joining us to demystify and talk from a human resources perspective as we tie it into facilities management. So I'm excited. I'm excited by this podcast. And as you heard in the um, in the introduction. Christine was a business manager. Her degrees in business, her master's in, is an in, is in international business. Christine, did you intend to work in human resources or did you fall into it by chance when you started your career? I did not intend to work in human resources. And actually, when, when I first, um, my first job out of high school and started out sort of as a temp job was in purchasing for... Um, a large hospital here in Albany, New York, called Albany Medical Center, and it started out as a summer a summer gig, and it was so great, and I enjoyed it. I stayed there for five years, and they were very flexible in in helping me to work through my schedule and keep me on working. And then, you know, once I graduated college, it was time for me to spread my wings and fly, and I got a job um, with RPI, a local college in um, Troy, New York. And I, it wasn't the same. The purchasing department there was not the same as what I had experienced in the hospital. And I was sort of starting to figure out like, hmm, what do I want to do? And somebody who I sat on a committee with said, hey, we actually have an opening in HR for a benefit specialist. And truth, truth be told, I had no idea what my benefits even were <laughs> as an employee. <laughs> um <laughs> So here I was applying for a job and I had no idea what my benefits even were. Um, but it was, it was great. I have to tell you, um, the, the gentleman who hired me at the time, um, was looking for someone with budget experience of which I had none of, and somebody uh, clearly with benefits experience of which I had none of, but I think (laughs) I had a passion for learning and he took a chance on me and I like to, I like to think I did a really great job and my passion remains to this day with all the different functions you have within HR, you know, whether it be recruitment or um, employee relations, benefits, retirement, benefits and retirement are truly my passion Um, within that realm. I, I like, I like the compliance aspect of it, but also, um, it, it also gives you a chance to partner with your CFO and your finance folks because they, of course, always see you as spending money. And uh, I like to I like to show the value, you know, for what we're actually spending. So, 
Yeah. Excellent. Interesting. You know, and I, I'd imagine probably, and you must see this in your HR, your employee, when you're wearing your employee hat, I think the one thing, and you, you, the word you used was passion. I think the one thing that makes anybody successful, we always say it in healthcare facilities, but it's probably any field, is passion. And if you have it, then you, you probably have the fundamental block that you need to succeed. Right. I agree. I couldn't agree more. You had mentioned, and I know we didn't want to go back to your high school, but you had said that purchasing at Albany Med was a bit different than purchasing at RPI. What was the difference between purchasing in healthcare and purchasing in academia at higher education? Um, I think it may have been um, the maybe the person I was reporting to at the time played a big portion into that. I, I, my role when I went to RPI was very unique and that part of my time was shared with um, an IT function and the other uh. part was shared specifically with purchasing. So it's cut in half, um, which is interesting because that trend yeah. sort of follows me where I go. <laughs> I have, I think, about four different roles right now where I am. Um, I truly love it if there isn't a tug of war uh, for my attention and where my priorities should be. And that, that push and pull as to, uh, where some folks felt my priorities should be, um, where I w- where I felt I was making uh, a greater impact. Sometimes there was some challenges there. And so I just felt like, you know, we're, we're all sort of tugging at, at me and I, I didn't enjoy that, that feeling. So, um, I think I made the right move. <laughs> yeah, no, it would appear so. And it's interesting. I mean, you're the VP of non-clinical operations and the VP of HR. So what is it that you do? What is it that you're accountable for? I guess the HR is maybe self-explanatory, but what is it from non-clinical and HR? What does it mean? So you, so I have a unique role within the Bassett Healthcare Network, specifically for Scale. You know, I'm the VP of HR, and I'm also the VP of non-clinical operations, and that is providing oversight to our dietary function, our uh, facilities function, emergency preparedness, security. Um, and then my, my scope expands beyond just the Cobalskill Hospital, but also I provide executive HR oversight for the HR function at two other sister hospitals within our network. Well, so that's uh, a split and expansive role. Are you, is it, is it, is it difficult to manage it all or how do you manage it all? I manage it. I, I think I am most successful because I do a very good job of managing my time um, and staying very connected with those people who report to me. I don't know if I would be so successful if I had a number of different supervisors micromanaging my time and pulling at me. Um, I do have day-to-day HR leadership on site at all three of those hospitals, and I try to tend to focus my attention on the bigger strategic initiatives and um, finding some common threads and how we can align ourselves to create a more consistent applicant and employee experience for the employees across our network. Has the, um, I mean, we're all impacted by COVID and I really didn't want to go this direction because I think people are COVIDed out, but in your role, HR is such a outward focused, touching people focused, um, line that you are in, has it been difficult working remotely, working in HR and still being able to connect and problem solve and do everything it is that you do on a daily basis when you're in the hospital? Now you have to do it remotely. Has that been a challenge? Right. I So some of my time is done remotely, but um, the majority of my time is in the hospital and the local HR um, leadership is also on site. We, we never really went fully virtual. Um, I know, I, I think it was really important for us to 
to stay connected, not just with the employees, but also decisions impacting employees. So there were a lot of conversations about, you know, anything from PPE and fit testing and um, keeping connections open between HR and employee health, as well as how are we going to repurpose staff, right? Because we had staff who all of a sudden we had revenues fall drastically for for all of our hospitals, right? That was just the reality yeah. for healthcare. Um, yeah, that's everywhere. Yeah, so we had staff that all of a sudden, if you don't have patients, their workload dramatically decreased. And and how could we repurpose them? How could we keep them whole? And um, it was really important that HR was at those at those conversations all the time. So yeah. So you stayed connected. Yes, absolutely. So let's switch gears a little bit relative to recruiting retention, which a lot of the folks I think who who listen to the podcast, they've been through the process before. Can you tell, tell the audience something about the HR function relative to recruiting or retention that they may not be aware of that human resources does or is accountable for or a challenge? Sure. I think um, from my perspective, the one thing that applicants or hiring managers um, don't think about with respect to recruiting and recruitment or applying for a job is that it's a relationship. Um, and, and I think failing to recognize that you're entering into a relationship is, is sort of the beginning of where things start to go wrong. Hmm. So hiring, so if you think about it from a relationship standpoint, or even let's just like draw the two parallels, hiring managers are always very, very quick. We got to hurry up. We got to fill this empty spot, right? Let's hurry up. Mm-hmm. Person's leaving. We got to get it filled. But you want to make sure you get the right person, right? So if you think about it from a relationship stamp perspective, you wouldn't just hurry up and go find somebody, right? You want to get to know them. You want to find out what they're bringing to the, to the relationship. Same thing with the job. You want to find out what the applicant is bringing to the position and what they can contribute to your organization. Applicants, I think the same thing. They're very quick to leave an unhappy situation, but they fail to take a moment to think about what they actually want in the relationship and in the job, right? They just know that they're unhappy. So I got to, I got to get out of this job. And I think, you know, we've all heard this and we've all probably thought it once or twice. Like I, I got to leave this job and you know, the grass will be greener and the grass is never always greener. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's because no job is perfect. No person is no. perfect. No relationship is perfect. And I, don't, I think we fail to take a moment to think about what do we truly need from a person? What's important? What are the non-negotiables? And the same thing with an applicant looking for a job. Taking a moment to say, you know what? I, I'm looking for a job because I'm not happy with A, B, and C. And it just might be, I might not be happy because there's no more career growth for me here and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But, but what do you like about your job right now? What do you not like about your job right now? And how do you use that knowledge to make a better choice in the next position you choose? So if you're interviewing somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, and they, um, you ask them, you know, why are you leaving? And they say, well, I'm not happy where I am. From your perspective, do they need to be able to support why they're not happy? And yes. and is that answer acceptable to you? I'm not happy as a standalone. My follow-up question to that question is always why. Mm. Tell me what do makes you them ever, happy. Do you ever get applicants when you ask them why, who they can't express why? Um, I'm sure I have. So interestingly enough, I know I've, I have, so there's also the fine line, right? There's, there's the common courtesy of not divulging and, you know, going down the path of how awful maybe a situation is. Um, But I think there's a, there's a polite way to do it. And I think if you have a general respect for one another, 
you can get that sense and you can deliver the message uh, very professionally. I know I had my own experience with that, um, you know, probably about 10 years ago now. I was, I was working for an organization and it just, we, I was very results oriented, very much wanting to make change, wanting to create efficiencies, driving results, right? That was not the culture of the place where I was. It just was not. Um, so I felt very stifled. Um, I, I felt like I was making no progress. I was very unhappy and I got an opportunity to interview with someone who in my HR community spoke very highly of. So I was excited about the opportunity to interview with this person. However, um, I quickly realized I didn't want to work for this person because when she, when she asked me, you know, well, why are you leaving? Why are you looking? And, you know, and I gave her the very professional, you know, just very different, like I'm telling you, results driven and it's just a very different environment. And each time I expected us to move on to the next question. If we did, we circled back and it quickly became, I feel like you're te- not telling me something. And it came, got to uh. a point where I was like, this, <laughs> this is, I don't even want to be in the interview anymore, let alone work for you. <laughs> so I think there needs to be a professional courtesy as well. I mean, you know, we've all had jobs where we, it just didn't work, right? We weren't in the right, right. we weren't in the right situation. And I think you can have that professional conversation without going down a rabbit hole of negativity. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, because you, I mean, you're, you know, they're assessing you, but you're assessing them just as much and, and formulating opinions as well. And that, you know, it's so true. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I think applicants fail to realize that they should be interviewing you, mm. <laughs> right? Because yeah. you you might want to leave your job, but you may not like me or whoever it is you're interviewing with. So I always tell anybody who's going to interview for a job and anybody who, who works for me and who's looking to grow and move on professionally, like make sure you are interviewing them. Mm. You're going to an interview but you are also interviewing them. Is there a, um, is there a balance to strike within that? Cause that's a question that we'll get a lot. And I, I agree with that. I tell people too, you need to be assessing whether you want to work there, but is there a balance where a candidate can go over the line in interviewing you as you're interviewing them? Or is, is everything on the table as far as that discussion is concerned? Um, I mean, I think I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that I, I guess I would prefer someone to ask me more questions. Um, you know, I think one of the, the don'ts to an interview is don't come without any questions. To me, that's the worst. If you come to an interview and you don't have any questions, unless, of course, we've talked for an extended period of time and we have had questions along the way. If mm-hmm. I get to at the end of an interview after asking questions and my interview team asks questions and the candidate has no questions for me, that's concerning. Right. That's right. concerning to me because for me, I'm thinking, gee, don't you want to know anything about me? Right, right. Or the or anything more about than just reading the job description or the job posting or, you know, the introductions that we've given. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I mean, now um, I it just you know sometimes you get uh, memories are triggered in you just listening to somebody. And you know when you were saying that, and it's been, I mean, when my career had started, I remember that was one of the more difficult things was not necessarily asking the question, but I, I remember, and this is early on, like after college, what questions should I ask? You know, I remember thinking that to myself, and I guess at the time, you know, you're going into the workforce, so it, it is all brand new. But I remember that, and I remember talking to my dad or asking him, you know, what do I need to ask these people? It, it was so mystifying. Now, obviously, you know what, I mean, y- you can do it, but that, I think that's a skill that people, and so it doesn't seem like one, but you almost need to a- acquire it because you not only want to ask a question, I guess, but you want to ask a question that's insightful and that puts you in a good light with the person who's interviewing you. Right. Right. I would, you know, and I guess it's, 
I mean, if everybody came to an interview asking insightful questions, that would be fabulous, right? Um, <laughs> but understanding um, some people interview better than others. Um, some people sell themselves better than others. Admittedly, I don't think I'm very good at selling myself. I think I'm just better doing. Um, yep. So I guess it's more of the, if you're not sure what questions to ask, I mean, you can Google it, you can come up with some very basic questions, but think about where you're going, the organization that you're, that you're going to work for. Ask some questions about the organization. Who will you be reporting to? Um, and what is important to the person you're reporting to? Because that's the other thing, right? Every hiring manager values something differently. Right. Right. Um, right. And I, I would ask people, you know, what do you, you know, your closest friends or um, family members, you know, going on an interview, which, what kind of questions do you think I ask? I'm, I'm struggling with coming up with some questions, but come with some. Right. With it, come with some. Absolutely. Don't come with any. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, you know, I, and I don't know if this is unique to, um, like healthcare facilities. So you, you see, obviously you're in the hospital environment. So you see clinical people, you see doctors, you know, you, you see the entire universe, not just healthcare facility management professionals. I think that one of the, um, one of the interview, one of the difficulties in interviewing, and this isn't for everybody, but for healthcare facilities management people is they're not always comfortable selling themselves. They're not always comfortable at an interview selling themselves and kind of being boastful. I think by their nature, many just do. And they don't want a lot of uh, a lot of visibility. And I always tell them, this is where you have to sell yourself because if you can't do it, nobody's going to do it. Do you find that, is that unique to the healthcare facility management professional or you know, are clinical people the same way? Are people just in general hesitant or or not comfortable selling themselves? Um, I, I would say, I think, I think people are just generally not comfortable selling themselves. And that might just be a part of the interview, right? Cause you feel like you're on the, you're on the hot seat. Um, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm in HR. I'm not comfortable yeah. selling myself during an interview. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. So I know that before an interview, I will, list out all of the things that I have accomplished and I'll review that um, because I think we forget in the moment great work that we've done and don't be afraid to bring that list with you in your, in your portfolio. Um, and can you and look at it while it. you're talking? If, sure. if they were to open their portfolio and Absolutely. That, that, that's not seen as a, uh, that's not seen negatively. Not in, not in my perspective. I would rather have somebody confident enough to, to look at something and then be able to speak to it than just sit there and not tell me what they did. Right? Because right? yeah. if you think right. about it, if they don't even look at it, then they're not going to remember all the great stuff that they did. And then they're going to sit there and they're not going to be able to say anything. And then they're going to leave the interview and I will be left thinking, huh. Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it because the alternative is you don't get the job. If right. you can't sell yourself like that. So yeah, no, that's right. good advice. And here's the other Are thing there... from an applicant perspective, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but from an applicant perspective, do you want to go work for someone who won't even let you look at a piece of paper? Yeah. Maybe not. Yep. Right. right. Yeah. And back exactly. to the relationship thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Are, are there other interview do's and don'ts that stand out for you? Other interview. Like uh, 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 as far as a don't, something like if you do this, it's an automatic disqualifier. And then as far as a do is concerned, oh. something that is a you know a, like a best practice. Uh, don't look at your phone. Ah, <laughs> you know I had <laughs> we, we I had that happen. It didn't happen to me, but to somebody we. It's funny because I think it hits on two of the things you just talked about. We sent a gentleman in who was highly qualified, and um. It was his second interview and he looked at his phone and he called me afterwards and he said, Pete, I think I messed up. And he said the reason he did, and it was an important phone call he was, he was expecting, but he said the reason he did it 
was because he thought he had really connected with the person interviewing him through the first interview. So we thought he had established that relationship. And then once he did it, he's like, I really messed up. So it's funny that you mentioned that when he, he yeah. did it for what he thought was a, like, he wasn't trying to be rude and he's not a rude person at all. I mean, he would never, but it, it happens, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, we have had interviews and again, for very different positions, but somebody will bring their phone in and keep it out and actually not just, and not just look at it, like to look at it and silence it. I'm, I'm not talking about that, but actually hold it, look at it, respond wow. to a text. Oh, and then really? continue with the interview. <laughs> you know what? Jeez. Unless someone, you know, is in critical condition in the hospital or, you know, your wife, girlfriend, somebody's in labor, <laughs> a baby, like maybe just for 15 minutes, you know, half an hour, just put the phone aside for a couple minutes. Yeah. That's wow, a big, I, I, that's a big no, no. <laughs> that is uh, and it's, it's interesting. It's sort of, um, we've seen that a number of times, um, not necessarily in management positions, um, but the phone ringing, we've seen that during management interviews, you know, someone forgets to silence their phone. Mm-hmm. Um, dressing appropriately for an interview. That's a big one. We've had folks show up in probably something I wouldn't even wear on a Saturday, let alone to an interview. Um, really? Yes. Yes. Um, so on, <laughs> on the male side, on the male side and on the female side, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. What, what's a, what's appropriate? What's the, What's the minimum for appropriateness for a male and for a female? We've had people show up with ripped jeans on. Like, that's probably not okay. <laughs> and I don't want I don't want to get to a place where I feel I need to send the personal appearance policy at the at the interview stage, right? right so right. if you come in dressed that casually, and again, I get it, right? Ripped jeans are in style right now. I got a pair, but I don't wear them to work. Um, if you if you don't have that level of judgment, there's an immediate perception about judgment for other things, right? Independent judgment on what you should wear to the interview. So a lot of the don'ts revolve around like the basics. Come with questions. Don't, don't show up and not have any questions. Don't bring your phone in and look at your phone and respond to text. Don't dress. Don't dress down and dress super casual. Um, you know, dress like this is important to you and 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 it matters um, and that you want to make an effort. Come with questions. Um, know a little bit about the organization. That's another one that sometimes um, folks will come for an interview. And, you know, one of the leading questions, no matter where you go, I think is always like, so tell me what you know about, tell me what you Mm -hmm. know about us, because it also gives the interviewer a place to start. Um, And so many times we'll hear not much, not much. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably not a good one. Not much, especially with the I mean, the internet, you can research anything today. Well, I mean, and I you don't think have that's to... why that that response uh, yeah. is, is so jarring when you hear it, because there's so much information at our fingertips these days that you right. really should, you should know a little bit. And you don't have to have all the facts straight, but at least show that you cared a little bit to learn about the organization before before coming in and wanting to join us. Yeah, it's easier than ever to do that. Along um along your lines of like building that relationship, one of the questions that will get asked by candidates, um, they'll always want to know how far can I push it during the negotiation process, whether it's related to salary, vacation, benefits. How do you view the negotiation process, and how much can a, a candidate push, and is there a line that they can go over? that wrecks that relationship that you've developed to that point? Mm, mm, That's a great question. And I know you and I have had many conversations about this. Um, I think so for typically for benefits, um, most of the time, those are what they are, right? The health plan is what the health plan is. The contribution levels are set. 
Um, and there's really, there tends to be very little negotiation in those benefits. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with vacation or, you know, more commonly what you, what you see now is the PTO, the paid time off. Um, and that again is typically, it is what it is, right? And mm-hmm. it may be the first three years of service, you get this accrual, um, and thereafter you get something else. And typically there's not a lot of room to negotiate with that for many, many positions. Um, salary is a bit different and that really depends on what the compensation philosophy and how I would, I would say how strong the compensation program is at the organization you're going to. You and I have had many conversations about salary and, um, I have, I have worked very hard to get us to a point where we, we determine compensation based on education and experience. And it's not just experience, you know, coming to work for us, but it's, it's the experience that you've had for the position that you're, you're coming in for. So we try to give as much credit and then there's keeping in line with internal equity. So, um, I, my, my personal professional philosophy around, um, providing an offer is that you have a strong foundation from a compensation perspective about what, what your ranges for every position should be. You know what your internal comparisons are and how you've made that decision. And I always feel you go forward with your best offer. Um, I, I have walked away from counter offering if an, if a candidate comes back and wants something higher than what my current techs, nurses, um, leadership positions are making. Um, I, I'm not going to, um, downgrade the current salaries because someone else is someone who hasn't even joined us yet is, is demanding more. And, um, I think too often, um, applicants hold salary as their number one, their number one thing that's important to them. And they fail to look to see if this is even the job that's going to provide them with job satisfaction. We have, we have a, and, and I may feel this way because we have a very strong compensation program that we can speak to, we can validate that, um, is equitable amongst our internal, um, staff, but we have had, we have had people, um, employees come to us and say, you know, I can make a dollar more an hour, $2 more an hour someplace else. Now, I know from an HR perspective, well, that someplace else may be two times bigger, three times bigger, right? Larger organizations going to pay more. That's hard for an applicant to understand. Um, but those those folks have left because money was important to them. Mm-hmm. But they've also come back mm. because when they got there, maybe safety wasn't as important. Maybe employees weren't as important. And I feel like those, like we, we can't offer for a small organization, we're healthcare, um, not for profit. We can't, we can't pay over and above the market for every single position. So what do you offer your employees? And we always offer employees a safe place to work, a place where they feel appreciated. Um, a place where they're recognized, a place where hopefully they all feel they're heard. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that's not important until you don't have it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And there's probably not uh, an answer to it, but I guess I'll ask from your perspective, and maybe it depends on the age of the candidate as well, but is there, um, is money the driver for the majority of people? And this is just as in the facilities, like across the board, is money the, the main driver? Is organization, I guess, is there anything that predominantly sticks out as a percentage that 
this is the one thing that drives the majority of candidates in their decision making. I think it's money because they, money. you know, they're, they don't know yet what the culture is like. I think it's the big sell um, when you have people leave for more money and then they come back because then you can demonstrate maybe it wasn't worth it, right? Maybe I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm important at this organization. And, mm-hmm. and that goes, you know, that goes back to, I think, what I was initially saying about the recruitment process. What is it that will make you happy, right? Because initially, you're going to think it's money. But once you start, once you get through a couple paychecks, that satisfier is now just an expectation. And you're left with a job and you're left with a supervisor. And do you even like them? (laughs) Right? Right. Because if you don't like like them, do you even like them? Yeah. If you don't like the job or the job really isn't what you wanted, um, you know, then you're not going to be happy anyway, even though you got the money or maybe mm-hmm. you like the job, but you have a really awful supervisor who doesn't recognize you, who doesn't reward you. And then the money's not all that important because now you've gone through a couple of pay cycles. It's an expectation. And now you just feel crummy coming to work because you'll work for this person who doesn't really feel like you feel like they don't care about you. Yeah. So that's why I always say, like, what is it that will make you happy in the job? What do you professionally what professionally are you looking for? Yeah. That fit is so critically important because without it, you're just it's like you said, eventually you'll become miserable. Right. <laughs> if, if it's just a money decision. Right. One of the things that we talk about a lot and we've talked about this is um and obviously the the environment is is changing um, in healthcare. I mean, and I'm speaking as specifically to, to the facilities management realm. If five years ago, even more so ten years ago, you could get away with being technical, being really proficient technically, but maybe on the soft skill, the communication, the listening, all of those leadership, maybe you didn't have to be as strong. Now you need to have both. What do you see from your perspective, from an HR perspective? The balance of the technical skills versus the soft skills. What do you think that ideal balance is? And it might be a little bit different for you because you just said, especially at Cobalt Skill, you're a little bit smaller, but in general, from a square footage perspective, but in general, what do you think that, what minimally balance do you need technical versus soft skill or leadership? Mm, that's a great question. So I think, you know, for, for the facilities, for the facility staff, uh, you know, the maintenance techs, it's their hard skills are very important, right? We need folks who are going to be able to maintain our facilities and do it well. And those are really hard skills. Um, but there is a component of, of the soft skills because you, in, even in, in those roles and then as you progress and you move on in your career, and you may want you may want to stay in a technical role, but you do need to be able to communicate effectively and collaborate throughout the organization. And those are the soft skills. So um, I think the hard skills are important, but so often what you end up seeing and, you know, what you end up seeing is if they don't, if a candidate in it, whether it's whether it's a tech position or a management a management position, if they don't have the soft skills, now we see them a lot, and now we're working on performance improvement plans, right? Because it's mm. it's the inability to get to work on time, or it's the inability to collaborate with other leaders across the network, or even in the hospital. Um, if those soft skills are so important. And if you can, if you can tackle those and you can really do well at them, um, I think it really sets, it sets you apart and you'll be successful. So the hard skills are really your foundation. Um, but the soft skills I think will carry you forward. If you have a person, um, strong technically, but they're not comfortable with the communication, the collaboration, is there a way that they can work on that? Is, is there a, um, is there something that you've seen over the years that works for that person? And I guess other than training, is there something they could do internally 
to either develop that skill or be more comfortable on the communication, collaboration, listening side of it? Um, yeah, and, and I guess the thing is, is, you know, this doesn't, this, the soft skill of, of being able to communicate and collaborate, it doesn't have to be um, getting out there and being the cheerleader, right? It, that, is, that is by no stretch of the imagination um, the leap that you, meet, you need to take with that. But, um, you know, it's, you can be soft-spoken and still very effective or even, and, you know, more introverted than extroverted and still have um, success, right, in collaborating. I'm, right. I'm thinking about the people who just, who just can't um, yeah. work with other yeah. people. And quite frankly, I, I'm hard pressed to think of any job really where you can, you'll be successful if you can't get along with others. Right. Because right. that's, that's the big soft skill is being able to get along with others. And I don't think, um, other than, you know, being respectful in your communications and, um, thinking about how you're communicating, you can be very, very successful. It's, it's those who struggle. I'm thinking of, you know, some of our, some of our folks who, who struggle in this area and, yeah. you know, providing them with communication training, providing them with, um, some coaching, some counseling. I know I'm thinking about somebody in particular who I've, I've had many conversations with and, and I've come out and told this employee, this is how it, you're perceived, right? And I share this with mm -hmm. her because we've developed this rapport and she, and she's open to hearing it because I've developed the rapport with her. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a learning process. And as long as somebody's willing to learn how to change that, I think, you know, there's always education around, around how to help them again, whether it's a formal program or even coaching and counseling. And, um, but it's those who, who just really don't want to learn it where it yes. becomes more of the yeah. stumbling block, you know, whether it's facilities or clinical. And I'm even thinking, I, you know, we were talking about it earlier, you, you have to communicate with other people. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. If you can't, you, you're not going to succeed. And it's interesting you say that, you know, I had, um, I had a boss once who told me during the review, he's like, Pete, you know, you need to speak more at meetings because whenever you say something, it's, you know, it's good stuff. And I just said to him, what you just said, like, I'm not the person at meetings and I never was who I didn't talk just to talk. I would only talk if I had something. So, you know, in a way, I would probably go more towards introverted than extroverted in that regard. And yeah. I said that to him. I was like, listen, I'm not going to talk just for the sake of having my voice heard. I've got to have something to say. And then I'm exactly. more than comfortable, but I'm just not going to talk for the sake of talk. It's not who I am. I don't feel comfortable. I would feel as uncomfortable doing that as I would, you know, anything else because it's not the personality. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Let's um, and I'm talking to Christine Perry, Vice President of Non-Clinical Operations and Vice President of Human Resources at Cobalt Skill Regional Hospital, uh, member of Bassett Health. Let's switch gears, and I appreciate your time. I just want to uh, switch gears to resumes a bit because we always get lots of questions about resumes, and as I tell people all the time, you know, we don't write resumes for. Um, our profession, but we see lots of them and we have lots of opinion on resumes. And I think we know what works and what doesn't work. But from your perspective, Christine, what elements does an effective resume have to contain? And along those lines, is there an automatic resume disqualifier? I think, um, so let's start out with the ideal resume, right? The ideal resume, in my opinion, um, is accurate. Right. So if you can't speak to something on your resume, don't put it there because your interviewer is going to have the resume in front of you and will asking you they will ask you about items on that resume. Also, right. make sure it's appropriate for the role. Right. A lot of times um, we'll see 
app, uh, resumes come through that it's great stuff they did, but maybe not for the job they're applying for. So mm-hmm. make sure you gear um, the things that you are listing as to how it can support you in the job you're applying for. And then I would I would always have someone, oh, even me, and I'm an HR, right? I always have someone double check my cover letter, double check my resume before sending it out and sending it anywhere. Check for spelling, check for grammar, check for punctuation, because that to me, I'm thinking about when I'm reading either a resume or a cover letter, I'm thinking about what is the email going to look like that the, this person is going to send out, right? I'm, I'm taking yeah. what they're giving me and then translating it into the work they'll give when they get here. And that could be an email. It could be, um, you know, speaking specifically about facilities, it could be the safety plans for the organization. And I'm expecting somebody to be able to put those together and, and have no spelling errors, grammatically correct. Um, so, so I would say those keep it succinct. Um, you don't want it to run on. What's the maximum amount of pages? What's the max amount of pages? Two. I mean, two, if, if, if you really need to three, but my guess is people spend a lot of time with the, the big statement at the top of the resume, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm, yes. I, I don't, I, and again, this is like my professional opinion, my personal professional opinion, but I, I don't need to, I mean, it's nice for you to share your aspirations, um, but I want right. to see yeah. what you've done. And hopefully some of that can get put into a cover letter. And you can explain to me how your aspirations fit into the role you're applying for at my organization. Right, um, right. You know, education, you know, highest level that you've completed that's um, applicable to the role. So some of the stuff I think a lot of people think a lot more stuff there is great, but yeah. make it the right stuff. Right? Mm, yeah. Yep. I, and it's funny, you mentioned the aspirational thing. I tell people all the time, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I was like, you know, if somebody else can write it, especially on the aspirational stuff, if, if it if it's kind of an empty word and, you know, motivated, passionate, it doesn't really mean anything because it's not an action and, and it doesn't, and anybody could really write it and it's, you can't prove it. Right, you know? right, right. And, you know, maybe... Some, and the other thing, too, is sometimes those aspirational quotes that turn into paragraphs, um, they're not even applicable to the job you're applying for. Like that never got updated. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like maybe yes. you're applying for a number of different positions and you forgot to update that section. Um, but you're not going to have to worry about your employment. Right. No matter where you're applying to or what position you're applying for, your employment Past employment doesn't change. Um, your education doesn't change. Your certifications don't change. So succinct, appropriate for the job, make it accurate, and then double check your grammar, your spelling, and your punctuation. One last uh, question, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I say it a lot to the candidates that we're working with when um, you know, when I'm looking at their resumes. So is this an accurate statement or a lot? And I, and I tell them, I think the way you have to think about it when you're um, when you're sending a resume to HR, you know, this isn't their only role that they're trying to fill. You're probably overwhelmed with roles, and and you're just, you know, you're looking at people. HR is looking for reasons to remove you as opposed to move you on. So you have to put your best foot forward and put accurate information at the front to grab them as opposed mm-hmm. to wasting space. Right? Is that is that good advice. Is that accurate? That is accurate. That is, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and that's why I said like the, I know, I know people love putting these aspirational quotes, but as yeah. you said, um, recruitment is just one of many functions and many tasks that HR is charged with every single day. And 
if we can, you know, we, we know what the qualifications of the job are. And if we can look through a resume and a hiring manager can look through a resume and see, you know, boom, 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 those are the things that we need and they're qualified, then you, then you move on. But if we have to sift through a lot of information, um, it could, I, I feel it starts to just muddy things down. Yes. Yeah. It is, um, glad you could spend so much time on resumes, but people putting personal information down stuff like, you know, avid gardener active in my church, <laughs> NRA member, like that type of stuff. No, I, I always tell them, take it out. Is that, yeah, that's still out, yes. right? You don't want Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. I had, I remember receiving a resume. This was years ago and the person shared their wife's name and age and, yeah. and all of their children and their names yes. and ages and yeah. all of this personal information. And I thought, if I was your wife, I would be offended and insulted that you're sharing all this knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure how it relates to the job. Yeah. Right, right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I agree. And I tell him, I said, listen, I think it's, you know, it's great that you have all this and you're interested, but you got to take it out. It's just not, it's not going to help you get the job. And in fact, it may work against you at times. You just never know who's looking at it. And I would say that it would work against you I, in, yeah. in, in my scope and in my reference. And, you know, I would, I would, I would find that the person found it hard to stay on task. Hmm. And that they couldn't follow the direction. And then I would worry about what, you know, so let's think about you and I have worked on a number of um, searches together. And like, if I think about those searches, if someone submitted a resume with all of that other stuff on it, I would immediately think, how are they going to chair my EOC committee effectively? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I yep. would immediately think, oh, no, those committee meetings are going to go off on tangents <laughs> talking about his gardening or her gardening. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I always think... try to bring it forward. And what on paper will the person look like in the job when they're doing it? And that's excellent advice, actually, for people to. Um, think about as they're doing their resumes. One of the things I always tell them to do, you know, if you're writing a bullet and if you read it and if somebody else can write it, like we were talking about, then you're probably not being specific enough or accomplishment enough. That's the other way to look at it too. Like how does that, how does that translate out into the field and out into your relationship? So it's, there's definitely an art to it and it's, uh, it's an imperfect science, but it's unfortunately a necessary one. Right, right. And I think the best advice is take a look at the job posting and typically in a job posting, the qualifications and what the organization is looking for is listed. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us that you have all of these things. Yep. yep. Right? Answer the questions for us. And that's the quickest, easiest way to at least move forward for round one. Right? And then round two and three, it's more of a cultural fit and organizational fit and job satisfaction. Excellent. Christine Perry, Vice President at Cobo Skill Regional Hospital in Cobo Skill, New York. Thank you for, uh, thanks for joining me today. It was a great conversation. Great. Thank you, Peter. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. My, my pleasure. So this is Peter Martin, Gosselin Martin Associates. Thanks for listening to the High Reliability Podcast, and we'll be back soon. Have a great day.